Hello everyone, my name is Brian Tussaud, and welcome to the Fur Peasants Podcast. You can expect a different view on life from this show. A filmmaker, Alex Getz, experiences life in Africa, Alaska, the Caribbean, and many other parts of the world. Not only does he experience new places, but he witnesses firsthand how wildlife from different continents live in their natural environment. I am sure many life lessons have been learned from these encounters. We also talk about the state of wildlife in our world. Alex, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. I have been looking forward to this for quite some time. Seems like you've been a busy person lately. Yeah, thank you for having me. Is there anything you're currently working on that you're allowed to tell us about? Um, Yeah, so this past December and January, I spent five weeks in Africa. Um, I did a short stint with Nat Geo Wild, filming some content for them with one of their programs that's based out of Kruger National Park. Um, And then I rented a safari truck for four weeks and kind of drove around Botswana and Namibia and Mozambique, um, filming as much wildlife content as I could. Um, So right now we're working on that we're developing a digital series based off of a lot of the content that we produced over in Africa. So something more, they call it blue chip in wildlife filmmaking. It's the higher quality, usually just a narrator wildlife films, similar to like planet earth or planet earth two. Um, we're going to be doing a digital series that is very similar in style to both of those programs, um, with a lot of the content that we created. And then ultimately we're going to be pitching it to, whatever distributor or network we can find. So recently was just in Jackson Hole, Wyoming for a big wildlife film conference. Um, got to sit down and talk to people in Nat Geo and at BBC and at PBS Nature and all these different outlets. And it was great insight into kind of what a lot of these places are looking for. So we're going to hopefully start pitching pretty soon. That's very exciting. I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. I do like a lot of documentaries, especially when I have to deal with nature and, uh, wildlife. I'm going to get a, a little origin story from you. I wanted to uh, let the audience learn a little bit more about yourself. Just things like where you grew up, how you got into this field, what your parents did for a living, and how long you have been working in this field. Okay, yeah. So uh, I grew up in a military family, so we moved around quite a bit as I was younger. Um, I would say home is Elyria, Ohio, which is closer to Cleveland. Um, went to Bowling Green State University for film production and environmental science. I think uh, before that in high school, I saw Planet Earth by the BBC, and that kind of inspired me. I was like, this is what I want to be doing. I'd always had a passion for wildlife. I didn't know whether I was going to be a biologist or a veterinarian or a zookeeper. Um, but I think once I saw that program and I started developing an interest in video, I tried to merge the two of those by going to BG and uh, Bowling Green State University to study film and environmental science. And so with that, um, I think I got a little sidetracked, started doing more commercial video, um, being on sets for narrative films and documentaries. Um, But I think I ultimately got brought back to doing wildlife filmmaking um, when I met one of my good friends, Justin Grubb, who's kind of my partner in production. And so, yeah, since then we've been producing um, some independent short films just about wildlife films. Um, and mostly the Caribbean and Central America. That's kind of our, um, I guess, stomping ground, for lack of a better term. We really like it around there, Um, and we're trying to branch out into some really bigger projects right now and uh, get our feet more in the industry, you know. So how has um, spending 
countless hours filming in the wildlife change your outlook on your own life? I think that um, spending a while out filming, you come back and you learn to appreciate, I think, the little things that are going on around you. Um, so, for example, I mean, when we were living in this safari truck for four weeks in Africa, I mean, water was wherever we got water. We were basically having to conserve it because we would have to purchase large jugs of it. Um, and it was just like comfort levels obviously weren't ideal. It wasn't perfect. But when you come back from situations like those, you're like, you learn to appreciate having a bed more and you learn to appreciate having access to food and water more. But also you get to see the ways that other people are living around the world when you're traveling through these different places. Um, so I think it's amazing and kind of humbling to see what's going on in other places and to bring it back and to your community and realize like how you could be living better off of what you have. Like we have access to so many resources around here that people I don't think take advantage of um, or even appreciate. And so when you come back and you see that, I think it inspires me personally to try and inspire others to care more about what's going on in our environments and community. In your film, Saving the Tasmanian Devil, the Tasmanian devils have a devil facial tumor disease since 1996 is still an epidemic did making this film create an impact on you if so how also has any progress been made on this disease since you made this film so filming in tasmania which is the state of australia not a lot of people actually know that um was really interesting i mean this disease which is completely unheard of um being a contagious cancer i mean you don't see that um it was just kind of shocking and i think a lot of people don't know it exists i know i didn't and so getting over there and actually getting to witness what was going on in these populations, I mean, 90% of Tasmanian devil population on this island that's about the size of Ohio was wiped out. And I mean, this is an animal that was almost just completely wiped out in a matter of like 10 years. Um, seeing that and seeing the efforts that a lot of the conservation biologists were putting in was really impactful. Um, and I was really fortunate to meet some amazing people and travel with them for about a month filming. Um, yeah, it was such a weird story and it was really cool to get to this island and to get over to Australia because I mean the wildlife there is so much different than what we have in the US. So I would want to see something to them like a wombat. A wombat to them is nothing. They see it just wandering on the side of the road. It's like a gopher to us. And I would like freak out when I saw a wombat. I'd be so excited. And they're like, you have bears in the US. Like that blows our minds. Um, so I think seeing the, the diversity in wildlife there was just amazing, but also being a part of that story was really, was a really interesting thing. Um, in the past year or so, they've been still working on figuring out a vaccine for the disease. What they've started to do, um, and it touches on in the documentary is create a reserve population. So they basically created these compounds for Tasmanian devils that had no trace of the disease where they'd bring them in, they'd do DNA tests on them. And then they would basically, it was like a love game, like a match game where they would find this Tasmanian devil whose genetics were diverse enough and this other Tasmanian devil whose genetics were diverse enough and they'd let them breed together. So it was maintaining a nice diverse population and no instances of inbreeding were created. And so they had this huge reserve population and it almost from the sounds of it, they it almost sounded like the, the biologists working on it had kind of hoped 
the wild population would just wipe itself out because then they could just open the gates and let all these new Tasmanian devils who are really genetically diverse just out onto the island and be like, all right, it's done. But as soon as the population dropped about 90%, um, it just kind of like the graph like dropped and then it steadied itself. So these devils, there were so few left that they weren't encountering each other and they were persisting and they were living. And so they had this whole other obstacle of trying to reintroduce new devils and also avoid getting them into diseased territories of Tasmania. So there's still a lot of work being done, uh, especially with vaccines, but it's, um, it's a work in progress. It's a cool story, though. I highly recommend watching that film. It's very moving and educational, and it looks beautiful, too. Thank you. In your documentary film, Story of the Wild, you say that Africa's wildlife is in decline. And there's a quote I'd like to say from the film. As the health of our planet falls, we must stand up and exploit our talents to come together and give a voice to the voiceless and to be warriors in the fight for our planet's survival. Can you elaborate on this, please? Yeah, so in a lot of communities around the world, I think that have some of these really pristine ecosystems, but also the most diverse animals, like you see it in Central America, in South America, in Africa. Some of these really rural parts, but also really poor parts of the world, have some of the best wildlife. And the reason they have that is because they haven't developed these huge industrial cities and um, communities that have pushed into the land yet, but that's kind of what they're coming to. So going over in Africa, we were in places where there were concerns about poaching because a lot of these communities are poorer. They feel that if they go and they poach a rhino or they poach an elephant, they're going to get enough money to feed their family for like a month. And so they think that, all right, I can just get one and then I'll be good for a little bit. And I think that if everybody has that mentality and everybody's poorer in these communities, and I mean, poaching is not exclusive to Africa. Even in Toledo, we have poaching. We have poaching of like endangered species in our in Northwest Ohio. We have them pulled out of their, their environment for the pet trade. Or we have illegal hunting not in season. That's considered poaching as well. Um, it's not exclusive to these countries, but a lot of poorer communities are going to, they're going to turn to situations like that when they need money to support their family. Um, so I think it's just helping to raise awareness for what's going on. If there's any opportunity to support a community in another place, but also get the word out about how it's bad to purchase ivory products in the U S or products that are made from wildlife or purchasing exotic pets. A lot of people in the U S want to buy an exotic animal because they think they're cool. These are all negative things that are impacting the world that we live in and the environments. Um, an interesting fact I heard recently is there's more tigers as pets in the U.S. than there are in the wild. And, I mean, that's just mind-blowing to think about, that there's that many tigers just roaming around the U.S. as pets. Um, and it's just, it's I think, something that everybody needs to kind of look at, the environment, not in a way of owning it anymore, but in a way of just conserving it and being involved in it and a part of it. So I think that's ultimately what we were hoping to do with that film is to inspire people to be like, look, there's this amazing wildlife in Africa, but also there's amazing wildlife everywhere. So let's conserve the environment. Let's preserve what we've got going on. Right. And we want to keep it going because I see a lot of wildlife in the water. I see a lot of decline in that in the coral and, and that's a, a habitat for a lot of sea life and 
my understanding that sea life is probably the most important and once that goes animal life on the land will probably start going and i also understand that every single species is vital it's to other species like yeah it's not good to have them extinct and take them out yeah i mean it goes back to the fundamental things we learned in grade school i mean there's this circle of life going on this ecosystem chain if one right animal is removed from it it just destroys the whole environment and you see it more with predators i think a lot of people look at certain animals like wolves or bears or lions and they look they have a negative connotation to them those are the animals that are keeping everything in check and if those are removed from the environment then things are going to kind of spiral out of control so you as a father i mean looking at such iconic animals like elephants and like rhinos as a, for your child when you're bringing them up there's a chance that in their lifetime these animals could be missing such iconic species um i believe it's 96 elephants every i'd have to get my stat right i believe it's day 96 elephants a day are poached and to think about that i mean there's not there's not going to be enough to sustain that so i think it's really important for people to realize what's going on and just get the word out about it because i think that is going to grow exponentially to raise awareness for what's happening now what about uh the the total opposite like for example in australia from what i hear the kangaroos are overpopulated a lot what about overpopulation of an animal and how does that affect the environment so overpopulation with a certain species goes back to exactly what i was talking about with the i guess the food web or the circle of life you know the top predator, the reason that a lot of these like, grass grazing animals like deer or like kangaroos are growing exponentially in population is because they have no predators anymore. So you see that a lot with, um, I think it was in the 80s, they reintroduced wolves back to Yellowstone. And at that time, there were too many grass grazing animals. So there was like an overabundance of deer and elk. And once they reintroduced wolves back into the environment, it completely reshaped itself. Um, you'll see that in areas like in the Midwest where there's going to be deer all over the place in an overpopulation of deer. And that not only has a bad impact on the environment, like in the forest and things like that, but they can carry diseases and ticks and things like that. So there's this whole chain where populations of prey species like a kangaroo, for example, or a deer or an elk are going to just grow too fast because there's nothing keeping them in check anymore people don't know this as, as well but sharks sharks are what's called an indicator species so if there's no sharks in a reef ecosystem that means it's unhealthy and that means there's going to be an overabundance of fish that are going to be destroying that reef ecosystem sharks keep the environment in check by eating the the dying fish or the fish that are diseased and it's they're really important to the ecosystem to just maintain populations. In your documentary film Rising Tide, you show that underwater sea life has taken a fatal impact. Coral is dying, skeletons remain, we take energy from under the sea and dump it in whatever we want. Thankfully, we have people like you to show us that the world we can't see with our own eyes are suffering. As of right now, is sea life improving or declining? I 
think with the ocean environments we have, there's a good push that's starting to develop where people are starting to realize the importance of what's going into our water. Um, not only fresh water, but the oceans. Um, but I think we're still kind of on a decline as far as quality. Um, environments are still bad around the world. And I think it's going to take a huge push to really make a positive change. Um, it all comes down to like gas emissions and things like that in the, in the atmosphere that are affecting the ocean. The ocean acts as a giant sponge, I would say, for absorbing these gases in the atmosphere. And surprisingly enough, cars aren't even the biggest problem with that. Cows and factory farming are more of an issue for the environment than all the cars in the U.S. are. So I think if we can maintain, um, I guess, a more controlled, um, what am I trying to say? I think if we can get how we're farming and producing meat a little bit better under control, then we're going to have see a more positive impact. One of the biggest things anybody in the U.S. can do that can positively impact the environment is cutting back on the amount of meat they're eating. We eat way too much red meat. And I'll admit, I'm like the first person to jump on getting a burger, but I'm trying to cut back on my intake of it. Um, eating meat is probably one of the worst things you can do for the environment just because of what is happening before it gets to your plate. So I think just cutting back, even if it's small steps, like you order a salad instead of a burger at some place, not only is it going to be healthier for you, but it's going to have a better impact on the environment. It's the small things. You don't have to go vegan overnight, but if you're making those little steps to make changes, I think you're going to, you're going to feel better about yourself and you're going to feel, you're going to be healthier ultimately. That's definitely uh, a good idea. It's definitely hard to follow. I yeah. admit that I eat, I probably eat beef jerky every day. Yeah, I, sw- I, I switched to doing turkey and chicken jerky and trying to get off beef. And I do enjoy steak and burgers. You know, mm. it's usually like once every other week. But yeah, uh, I'm just trying to think if I cut back, just being aware and cut back just a little bit on meat, you know, that definitely would make a, a big difference and probably in my health as well. And also uh, trying to take transportation in perspective and like mm-hmm. i my work i live about five to ten minutes away maybe i could bike there you know mm-hmm. try to try to do my part yeah also uh with with uh the sea life uh it's heating up as well yeah i mean if you look at the reefs in the ocean kind of like the human body it's supposed to maintain a very specific temperature across the board like it'll fluctuate naturally but I mean, if your body's at what, 98.6 degrees, something like that, that's what our normal temperature is supposed to be. If you go a couple of degrees over, you're in a fever and it's almost to the point where you need to go to the hospital. When all of these extra gases are being absorbed in the ocean and increasing the temperature, the ocean's basically having a fever right now. Like it can maybe get out of it if we make some big changes now, but it's going to get to a point where it's like a very critical problem. Yeah, it's. It's a huge problem. Like we'd have to switch our whole infrastructure on transportation and all that. Like we'd have to like change the gas stations and we'd have to come up with an idea for farming alternatives. And well, there's a lot to hold in the future, but hopefully we uh, keep creating awareness like how you are and uh, how your team is creating films and promoting awareness. And I'm seeing Netflix. I'm seeing uh 
a lot of documentaries on there that catch attention. Like people actually post on Facebook that you should watch this film and hopefully we'll see you guys on there someday. Hopefully. That'd be pretty, that'd be pretty neat. I'm looking forward to that. And I have a good feeling, you know, something like that would happen. Well, thank you. Yeah. We appreciate it. And I think it all, like we mentioned earlier, um, you vote with your dollar almost. So if you start cutting back on meat intake and less is being purchased or gas, um, ultimately there's going to be a reflection in the, the economy in that. So, all right. So I'm going to start wrapping this up. I know you, uh, had a, a busy day and you still have the rest of the day ahead of you. What is one tip you recommend to someone that wants to get into your field? Getting into filmmaking, I guess I'll talk more about filmmaking in general rather than wildlife filmmaking. Um, this could also apply to wildlife filmmaking or documentaries as well. Um, getting into filmmaking, I think the important thing to realize is that a lot of people I know create these awesome films and they finish it up and they think they're done as soon as they're done editing. Um, one tip that I have for people who are trying to do, I guess, a creative field like photography or video is that as soon as the photo or the video is done, that's like 50% of the way there. Like you are going to have to become your own marketer and your own manager. And now you're going to have to start putting that content out there and trying to find a home for it. And so I think my biggest tip is that whatever you're working on, make sure that you give it a life somewhere, not just on your Facebook page or your YouTube or your Vimeo channel. Um, you have to you have to market it. You have to get it in front of eyes and you have to get it around to where it's going to be the most impactful. So I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned in the past couple of years is that when we're done with the video, we're not done at all yet. Like putting it on my Facebook is not going to make it blow up and Netflix is going to call me and, and want to pick up our film. We're going to have to really start pushing it out there to get not only our important messages out that we're trying to get out there, but just the quality and the content of the film. How long would you say approximately rising tide how long did that film take to plan shoot and edit and be completely locked not even dealing with the business side yet so i think for a lot of our films our kind of planning and then our, our pre-production our post-production phase um it might be about a year for one of our short films I know for Rising Tide specifically, we had gone to Honduras with different intentions to film whale sharks. And unfortunately, we were there at the end of the season and we didn't see a single one. So we did end up filming a lot of content for a project that could happen down the road. But Rising Tide was kind of just a product of footage that we had collected that we didn't have a home for yet. And so we created this short inspirational film we hoped that um, we would just put out. And I think um, it's... We still have, I think, a little bit of life in it to get it around there. We did work with a couple of cool ocean conservation groups to get it out there as well. Um, but yeah, it was probably a little short of a year, the full process of it. Yeah, that's a lot of time. But if you want a quality film, got to put, put the time in, that's for sure. What is one thing you've learned in life that made you change your outlook on life? That's a tough one. One thing I've learned in life that's made me change. I think it, it goes back to one of the first questions, which was what have I seen in different places around the world and what, how has it affected me when I come back? Um, I think it's just realizing that we take a lot of what we have in the U S for granted 
we we have these really comfortable lives and we have access to so much. Um, I think it's important to reflect on that at times so that you're aware of what you have, but also who you have around you, um, the people and the things in your life that are really important. So I think coming back to those and whenever I come back from a trip, I feel like I'm especially on one of those kicks where I'm really grateful for what I have. Um, so I think it's reflecting on that a little bit, but also I think if anybody ever has the opportunity to travel, um, whether it's in the U S or internationally, just take it because you learn so much just around the world and perceptions change places that you think are really dangerous may only be hyped up in popular media. And I think that, um, getting to meet people in different places is really important. Getting, I guess, more culturally aware. Those are, uh, some moving words. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna definitely going to apply that to my life. Where can people find you online? So if you're looking for any of our content, you can find me on Vimeo. Um, my name is Alex Getz, G-O-E-T-Z. Um, but also you can find us on our Facebook page, Running Wild Media, and uh, our website as well. So there you can see uh, a bunch of different wildlife photos and content and conservation messages. Awesome. Well, the next thing I'm going to say, you basically already said it, but if you have any plugs you'd like to say, plug away. There's my plug. Right. Find, uh, find Running Wild Media on Facebook. That's probably the best place to interact with us. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Hey, everyone. I really want to thank you for listening to the Perpessence podcast. There are going to be many episodes to come, and they're going to be amazing. To keep them coming, please subscribe, rate, and share the podcast. Have a nice day.